Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again. Uh, we're in the third week of our sermon series on prayer. Specifically, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, thank you, my brother CC, for your challenging word last week on prayer and fasting. We are excited about this journey <clears throat> that we're on. We believe that the Lord is doing a great work and we're excited about what he will continue to do. Um, the breath of spiritual life is prayer. Physically, we can live 40 days without food and three days without water, but only seconds without breathing. And spiritually, we can do no better. Our life without prayer cannot be spiritually alive, no matter what else may be present. This is how strategic and critical prayer is for anybody who desires to be in a personal relationship with the living God. Now here's the thing though, you could read all the books on prayer, you could listen to other people pray, but until you and I actually begin to pray ourselves, we'll never understand prayer. Prayer is like, as I mentioned before, riding a bicycle or swimming, you learn by what? You learn by doing. One of the main problems with our prayer life is that we don't pray. One of the glaring reasons why people are dissatisfied with their prayer life is because they <laughs> don't pray. To never do something is the worst way to get better at it. We need to work at prayer. There's no secret formula, you guys. It means that you and I have to put in the time. Are you frustrated that your prayer life hasn't taken off? Have you spent the time have you worked at it we all know that there is nothing easy or natural when it comes to prayer so you have to put in the time you have to enroll in the school of prayer i am so excited about this 40-day prayer challenge anybody else yes 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 commit to it daily and watch what it does to your prayer life commit to it daily and watch what God does to your prayer life. The key to prayer is simply praying. Uh, when I began my journey as a Christian and, and, and began my journey in prayer, somebody said, you know, prayer is just, just talk to God. Just, just talk to God. And that's absolutely true. The beauty of prayer is its simplicity, right? Prayer is going to God and talking to your Father about what's on your heart. But as we're learning, prayer is not simply a matter of words. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Prayer is not just communication. It's communion with God. Prayer is a way of relationshiping with God. Now, this doesn't make prayer any easier, but I would say more beautifully complex. You see, if being, praying well or being a good prayerer was simply about skill or exact verbiage or words, then prayer could be approached as a competence to be mastered. But prayer is more like what the psalmist in Psalm 42, 7 said. It's deep calling out to deep. The secret is not in the phrases that we utter, but in coming to know, coming to know evermore fully the one 
to whom we pray. And that's what God intended prayer to be. For you and I get to get to, what, know him intimately, right? And listen, the Lord's Prayer, this is so amazing. The Lord's Prayer was Jesus saying, let me show you the heart of God. Let, let, let me show you in the Lord's Prayer what makes God tick. What he's passionate about. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. Let me show you. Let me give you an inside glimpse and look into what my Heavenly Father is passionate about. What he is up to in the world, in your life, in your neighborhood. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is not just giving us a model of how to pray. He's doing that. But more importantly, he's saying, come on, come on, come on. Let me show you a glimpse into the heart of God so that you could know him intimately like I do. Now, those of you who know me know that I have a, a cynical streak in me that constantly has to be kept under control. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, okay? I am cynical and, spect and, and, and skeptical of, you know, big, large, spectacular claims, but I can say without any reservation that the answers to all of your problems, the answers to everything that ails us and all of humanity when they're rightly understood is right here. Right here in the Lord's Prayer. If we understand what the Lord's Prayer is and not just pray it, but actually live it, as we'll learn today, we unlock the secret to kingdom living. When Jesus said, come so that you might have life and have it to the full, in the Lord's Prayer, he gives us the key to that. Now, we, we have the Lord's Prayer because the disciples, ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, and when you look at the Lord's Prayer, actually in prayer in general, what Jesus taught, you notice that Jesus does not say certain things in his teaching about prayer. He doesn't talk about how long or, or what time of the day or how many times. The disciples were very well acquainted with that. He also doesn't talk about whether we should be standing, sitting, or kneeling, uh, close our eyes to fold our hands. These are not the sort of things that Jesus talks about. Jesus emphasized two things in prayer. First, he says is what? Pray. <laughs> you got to do it. Don't neglect prayer when you do it. And the second thing he emphasizes is here's what I want you to pray about. And what he says is counterintuitive, church. There are things about prayer that you and I have thought all along was important that Jesus says, eh, not that important. And things that you think are not important, Jesus says, no, no, no. That's heart of what prayer is about. Okay? Now, so we're going to go ahead and once again read the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew Chapter 6, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, actually, is at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And, and you'll see in a little bit why that's important. Matthew 6, 9, <clears throat> this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, uh, what, what I'm going to do throughout the sermon series is this. I'm going to spend a little bit of time kind of from a 30,000 foot perspective, right? So zoom out and look at the Lord's Prayer Okay, and then we're going to zoom right in and go word by word by word. So I'm going to talk a little bit from zoom out about what prayer is that the Lord, uh, the Lord prayer teaches us and then zoom in. Okay, and as I said before, Cece, I, I, I wish I could spend like months on this. Okay, like I'm, <laughs> I can't, I'm, I am leaving so much out to, to squeeze it in uh, in the time frame that we have. Okay, so zoom out. Three things I want to quickly say. First of all, notice that there are six petitions. The first three petitions use the pronoun what? You. And the second three uses the pronoun us. Now, so most of the people sort of look at the Lord's Prayer and they conclude the first three are about God and the, and the second three are about us. And of course, as I've mentioned, we're most concerned about the last three. So we breathe right by the first three and give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts and deliver us. And the first three sort of becomes perfunctory. Now, here's what I want you to see. The entire prayer actually is about God. The entire prayer is about God. What we realize is that the last three petitions are for the purpose of the first three. Now this is paradigm shifting for us. In other words, Jesus is saying, pray, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and deliver us so that we can hallow your name, extend your kingdom, and do your will. The entire prayer is about God and the fulfillment of God's agenda from beginning to end. It's about God. We pray with God. In my, is this good news? If you do not understand that, then when you pray, give us our daily bread and forgive us our, uh, our debts and deliver us, you miss the entire point of why we pray those things. Second thing, all the verbs in the Lord's Prayer are in the Third person imperative. Now, now we all, new community, it's a thinking church, right, church? So, so we're going to do some Greek study this morning. It's in the imperative mood. What is the imperative mood? You guys know it's a command. In other words, the Lord's prayer, we're saying, God, do this. God, do this. But it's in the passive voice. And I'll tell you what that is and why it's important. Passive voice, command in the passive voice. First of all, it's a soft command. In other words, from do this, we're saying what? God, let it be done. Okay? Let it be done. Let it be done. That's why we change it in English. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. And let your will be done. It's like Apostle Peter saying to the crowd, on Pentecost in Acts 2, what? Let every one of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a command, but it's a soft command. So a great way to think of the Lord's Prayer is to pray it this way. Cause your name, God, to be hallowed. Cause your kingdom to come. Cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray with boldness, see? All right? Now, why is it, though, in the passive voice, but please don't miss this, this is huge. The reason why it's an imperative in the passive voice 
is this. Only God can do what it is that we're asking to have done. Come on, somebody. Only God has the power and ability to do this. Only God can hallow his name. Only God could bring about his kingdom. Only God can do his will. The prayer is not what many of us were taught growing up. It is not, God, let us hallow your name or let us bring your kingdom or let us do your will. It's, it's Father, you do it. You do it, Father. You cause your name to be hallowed on earth as it is heaven. You cause your kingdom to come on earth as it is heaven. You cause your will to be done on earth as in heaven. See the difference? It changes the whole tone of the prayer. We are asking God to do what only God can do. Now, let me be really clear. This is not saying that all we can do is pray and be bystanders since only God can do this. No, we want to be involved. Indeed, we must be involved in becoming answers to the prayers that we pray. We want to be involved in the process of the kingdom coming, God's will being done, and his name being hallowed. But we are not the ones making it come. We are not the chief actors in this drama. We may be needed, but the fundamental work for which we pray is what? It's God's work. The prayer asks for the establishment of the kingdom of God by God for us and not by us for God. Is this good news? Come on, somebody. Listen, there's no doubt in my mind that the world is changed by standing up and preaching the gospel. That's why I have given my life towards this. But the world is chiefly transformed by getting down on our knees and praying the imperatives, God, do this, do this, do this. The third thing, there's so much here. And I need to move on. The third thing that I want you to see, 30,000 for perspective, the center of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is the cause on earth as it is in heaven. Do you notice? On earth as it is in heaven. And even though it's right after, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this preparation of phrase actually goes with each of the first three petitions. Meaning, Father, your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, do you ever wonder, what are we praying when we pray that? What are we praying when we say on earth as it is in heaven? Now, this is so huge. And I don't even pretend to be able to explain this as well as I should. Remember that the Lord's Prayer, as I said, stands at the center of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what is the Sermon on the Mount? It's a collection of sayings or sermons that describes what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in and takes hold of us. It describes what happens. Sermon on the Mount. When what's happening in heaven touches down on earth. You with me? You with me? 
So do you know what we're praying when we say on earth as it is in heaven? We are literally asking God the Father to bring the reality of heaven down to earth. Come on, somebody. We are saying, God, bring the reality of, and by the way, the primary way that God brought the reality of heaven on earth was what? By becoming one of us. You want to know what the reality of heaven is? The reality of heaven right now is that the Father's name is being hollowed, his kingdom is being actualized, and his will is being done perfectly, immediately, and without ceasing. That's the reality of heaven. In the Lord's Prayer, we're praying, Father, make it so on earth. Make it so on earth. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. Father, bring heaven down to earth right here and right now. To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in heaven's invasion of earth. Come on, somebody. Do you realize what we have in our hands with the Lord's Prayer? Is to participate in this cosmic hat of revolution like our world has never seen before. That's why the greatest tragedy in life are the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. God won't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray. Think about that. God has willed that the prayers of his people be a part of the process by which God brings heaven down to earth. What? God uses our prayers as a means to accomplish his, his kingdom purposes in the world. That's why his name will be hallowed. His kingdom will come. And his will will be done on earth. What? All in happens in response to the prayers of his people. Is this good news? Do you realize what you and I have in our hands? Wow. So, now I'm going to continue to do this every week, okay? We're going to zoom out, look at prayer, and then we're going to zoom. So here we go. Zoom in now. Zoom in now. The first petition, before we get to the first petition, we, we saw this last week. Our Father in heaven. The introductory words in the prayer is our Father and Jesus teaching us the basis of prayer. Listen, I can't do too much review because you guys hate it when I go too long in my review, so I'm going to be real short. Listen to last week's sermon where I broke this down, but our Father, why our Father in heaven? Jesus says, start by remembering what? And bringing into the depths of your soul who it is that you're praying to. He's your Abba. Come on, somebody. He's your Abba, the most intimate term, Abba, Daddy, Dada. He's your Abba, Father. By the virtue of your faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. You are his son, you are his daughter, and everything that comes with that. You have a father, and he's a thousand times better than any earthly good father or bad father. He loves you more than you will ever know. He showed you how much he loves you on the cross. He's not stingy. He's gracious. And he is kind. He has good intentions for you. He cares about you. He cares about your needs. You can't pray about a problem he doesn't already know and care about. 
He invites you and me to come talk to him in prayer about them because he knows what you need. He wants to give us good gifts that bring glory to him and good to us. And Jesus is literally saying, come on, sit here as long as it takes. Don't, don't, go, don't go on the rest of the prayer until our Father has melted you, gripped you, don't, don't go on to our You're my Father. You're my Father in heaven. See, when you understand this, instead of going, well, well, Jesus said he already knows what I need, so why, 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 why bother praying then? Instead of doing that, you know what you do? My Father knows. My Father knows. This is good news. Do you know why? I'm going to offend some of y'all. Because we don't know what we need. Can anybody say amen? We don't know what we need. We think we know. We think we see the whole picture, all the factors involved in our circumstances. We think we understand ourselves and our desires, our longings, and our fears. But I'm going to speak for myself. I do not. You don't either. But the good news is our Father does. He sees. He knows. You see what this verse, I'll tell you what it does first. It frees us from having to have everything figured out before and while we pray. Do you think about that? Okay? It frees us from having to ha figure everything out before. It also frees us from having the right, what's those right words. Don't you sometimes, like, I don't know if I can find the Father just says, come on, say what's on your heart in the most honest way that you can. Because your Father knows what you need. Is that good news? Our Father in heaven. Then we get to the first petition. And we're only going to cover first petition. Okay? I might want to go longer next week on the first petition. Because it's huge! It's huge. So, so for in light of today, go into your life groups, micro groups, and unpack, go deeper, Okay? What's the first petition? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Greek is hagiasteto tu onomasu. You know, you can learn a lot about a person from what they pray for. You can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about a person from what they pray for. <laughs> it's a funny CC because the, the, this is the petition that supersedes all other petitions. There's a reason why it's first. This is the one from which all the other petitions follow. Now this is where you and I must begin, not just because he tells us to. Now check this out, church. We begin here because this is where Jesus himself begins and ends. Jesus teaches us to pray this petition first because this is what he prays about. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, and on and on. At the center of Jesus' being, identity, mission, was his passion for his Father's name. Are you with me? 
His passion for his father's name being hallowed. You go, well, how do you know that? Because of the other Lord's prayer, the real Lord's prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. John 17, this beautiful, rich, full text. John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, what is that work? Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to those you gave me out of the world. Verse 26, I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make your name known that the love of which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Everything Jesus did was for this. The hallowing of God's what? Name. Jesus teaches us to pray. First and foremost, Father, hallowed be your name because that was his prayer. That was the passion of his life and prayer. That's huge. Now, what does it mean to hallow God's name? All right? What, is it, what does it mean to hallow God's name? Well, it's an old English word. It's virtually never used anymore, right? You ever, you ever hear in everyday language conversations somebody saying hollow? We don't use it anymore. But there's also confusion in the church about what hallowed be your name means. Now, to hollow something, listen, means to treat it as holy sacred and ultimate. Let me say that again. To hallow something is to treat it as holy, sacred, ultimate. In other words, to hallow something, listen, listen, to hallow something means to make something your ultimate concern, your ultimate aim, to make it the most important thing, the most crucial thing, the most sacred thing of your life. To hallow something means to esteem it, to reverence it, to honor it, to treasure it, to love it above everything else. Which causes me to stop here and ask this question, that is, what is it that you hollow What, what are you hollowing? What, 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 what is your ultimate concern, your ultimate aim? What is the most important thing, the most crucial thing, the most sacred thing in your life? What, what do you esteem, value, treasure, honor, and love, and adore? They look the word glorify more than anything else in your life. The prayer is what? Some of y'all tracking with me. Hallowed be your what? Name. Now, I got to unpack this because we live in the West where people give more attention to naming their pets than they do their kids. Hello, somebody. <laughs> 
We do, but for those of us who were born and raised in other cultures, like the Eastern cultures, like myself, names actually meant something. It was the same in the biblical world. Names were more than just labels, church. A person's name referred to their character, their attributes, their reputation. That's why Proverbs 22 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Your name is the essence of who you really are. Now, I, I got news, some of, <laughs> some of y'all. God is not God's name. Hello, somebody. God is not God's name. God is a descriptive word, not a name. God has a name, a first name, many other names. But God is not his name. When we talk about God's name, we're talking about his character, his attributes, his personality, his reputation, or here's a biblical word, his glory. God's name. And check this out. I think Jesus said, pray, hallowed be your name and not hallowed be your kingdom or your will. Because even more than kingdom or your will, his name gets to the core essence of who he is. The name of God is the sum total of all his attributes and his works. It's about his being, who he is. That's why you find passages like this all over the Bible. Psalm 138.2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Exodus 34.14, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. His name is jealous, is a jealous God. And over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, I'm doing this for my name's sake. For my name's sake. For my name's sake. You with me? So you put all this together. What are we praying when we pray, hallowed be your name? Oh, this. We are praying, God, Father, cause your that is who you really are. Cause your name to be the ultimate concern, the ultimate aim, to be the most important thing, the most crucial thing, the most sacred thing, God, in my life and in the lives of every living, breathing creature on earth. Hallowed be your name that is God, who you really are. Cause it to be esteemed, to be reverenced, to be honored, to be treasured, to be loved above all else. Hallowed be your name. Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you because your name and your renown are the what? Desires of our hearts. 
My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. So here, church, let me stop here and say this. Here is the most critical questions when you and I pray. And that is, is this about God's name? Or my name? Is this about God's name? Or my name? Is it about God's kingdom or my kingdom? Because here's the amazing thing. Check this out. If it's about God's name, God will answer that prayer every single time. You want 100 prayer requests answered? God says, you pray about my name? That prayer is going to be answered every single time. How do you know? John 14, 13, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God longs to answer prayers that what? Glorify his name. God will answer every single prayer that hallows his name, who he is. If it's about God's kingdom, God will answer that prayer every single time. So let me just stop here and say this. If you are struggling with unanswered prayer, ask yourself this question. Is it about my name or God's name? Is there anything more countercultural than that, church? Is there anything more radical than that request, church? Is there anything more freeing than that, church? Yes, I said it. Bring that is freeing. Do you know why? Because it means glory for God and, and, and goodness for us. Glory for God and goodness for us. The two can't be separated. For those of you from good old Presbyterian backgrounds, Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man and woman? To glorify God and, and, and enjoy Him forever. The happiest life is the one lived for God's name. God's glory. Hello, somebody. You were created for this. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, check this out, were created through him and what? For him. You've also been redeemed for this. 1 Peter 2.9, For you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. I'm a witness. I want to testify today that there's more freedom. There's more deliverance. There's more healing. There's more joy in the pursuit of hallowing God's name. Living for his glory as your goal, as your priority, as your passion in life than any other thing you've dreamed of. I'm a witness. But the opposite is also true. What do I mean? 
Someone said the paradox of our time and history is that we spend more but have less. We buy more, but we enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. More medicine, but less wellness. We've multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. These are times of tall men and short character. Steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the days of two incomes, but more divorce. Fancier houses, but broken homes. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted our soul. We live in the most affluent country in the most affluent time in the history of the world. But are we happier? Are we more content? Are relationships healthier? Is our world more peaceful? Is our world more just and equitable? And here's the thing. Everybody tries to address what they think is the issue without understanding that these problems are just symptoms of a deeper issue. Maggie Ross an Anglican has pinpointed the deeper issue. I quote, We try to fill up that ghastly hole in the pit of our stomachs that is really our souls. We try to fill it with food, with power, with sex. We begin to realize that this hunger will never be satisfied, not in this life. And then what she says is haunting me in a good way. She says, It is the hunger for the face of God. And the only possible food is prayer. It is the hunger for the face of God. And the only possible food is prayer. Here's the truth. Only God can fill our deepest hunger. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Getting married? Can't. That perfect job? Can't. Working for justice? Can't. Working through your past with a therapist? Can't. Adding 20% to your income? Can't. As has been said, brokenness is realizing that God is all that we have. Hope is realizing that God is all that we need. And joy is realizing that God is all that we want. We pray because we hunger for the face of God. And the only possible food is what? Prayer. That's why we've been saying from the very get-go, prayer is not about getting things from God. It's getting what? It's getting God. And no prayer expresses the desire more than hallowed be your name. I want you, God. The whole purpose of prayer isn't the supplying of our endless needs, but our greatest need of himself. Do you see why Jesus taught us to pray this verse? Jesus, this petition comes first. Not only should all prayer be about this, but all of life should be about this. That's why I would even say it's not three and three. It's one and five. 
Every petition is for the hallowing of God's name. Why do we want God's kingdom to come? We talk a lot about the kingdom of God in new community. Don't get this twisted. Getting the kingdom of God, extending the kingdom of God is not the end. The kingdom, the ruler in of God, we want it to come so that God's name will be hollow. Yes. God's will be done for the hollowing of God's name. We ask for bread, for forgiveness, and deliverance from temptation so that we could all, what, hollow God's name. So let's apply this as I end. What is it that you hollow, I asked you earlier? And don't, don't be like, well, some people hollow something. No, no, no. Hollowing, which is worship, by the way. We're all worshipers. We all have something that is our ultimate concern, ultimate aim. We all have something that is the most important thing, the most crucial thing, the most sacred thing. And my question to you and me is, is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Moment of truth. What do you hollow? Jesus? The name of Jesus? The fame of Jesus? See why we need to pray this prayer? Every day? Every moment of our lives? Because in our flesh, in our natural self, can we just admit, we want to be central. We want to be at the center of our minds and our affections. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, listen, we are asking God to rewire our hearts and reorder our lives so that Jesus becomes the center of our lives. We are asking God, it's a position, hallowed be your name. God, rewire my heart and reorder my life so that you, Jesus, become central, or to use Paul's words, preeminent. Colossians 1, 18. Pray this into your heart and soul, church. Pray this. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he, Jesus, might be preeminent, surpassing all others. This is the goal of the Christian life. It's Jesus. Nothing else to pursue, nothing else to came, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Can I just go on a little bit of a rant? Following Jesus doesn't guarantee a life without pain, suffering, hardship, and trials. I'm so sorry that if some pastor or church taught you that, that the promise of Christianity, if you believe in Jesus, you won't experience those things. No, the message of the gospel is not that in following Jesus everything goes right, but that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what happens, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That is the message of the gospel. It's not what Jesus gets you. The end goal is that in everything, Jesus be preeminent. Nothing else to want, nothing else to pursue, nothing else to gain, because Jesus is enough. He's enough. And this church is the hard work of prayer. Listen to me, listen to me. No, what do I mean? In prayer, we don't just say, oh yeah, Jesus, you're preeminent. We all do. But in prayer, you make Jesus preeminent. 
You make Jesus. This is why I said at the beginning, only God can do this. Only God can do this. You, in our flesh, we want to run from this as far as possible. So ask God, God, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, God, do this. I want Jesus to be preeminent in my life. Do it, Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you make, not just say, you make Jesus preeminent in your thinking by recollecting and remembering who he is and what he has done. You make Jesus preeminent in your feelings by rejoicing in and drawing on the sweetness of who Jesus is and what he has done. You make Jesus preeminent in your planning, in your life, in your goals, by reordering your needs, your wants, your problems, your agenda, all in light of who he is and what he has done. That is the goal and challenge of prayer. You make Jesus central in your prayer. Not just say, you make him central, preeminent in your thinking, in your feelings, and in your planning. <laughs> Not by white-knuckling our way. I'm going to do it! But what? But by going back to the well of the gospel. Again, and again, and again, and again. You never graduate from the gospel, church. That's not just how you get saved. The gospel is how you grow, how you change, how you be transformed, and how you heal. In Mark 13, Matthew 13, I'm going with this, Matthew 13, 30, uh, 44. Do you remember this? Matthew 13, 34, Jesus tells a parable about a man who stumbles upon a field with a treasure worth more than everything he has and could have put together. So what does he do? Do you remember? He covers that up. Nobody sees. And the Bible says he sells, Bible says he sells everything he has with gladness. Everything with gladness and with joy. And people are coming up to him saying, you crazy? You crazy? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you selling everything you have here for? And he says, oh, I'm going to buy that field over there. That field? Why? And he says, oh, I have a hunch. Because he knows deep down he's not losing anything he is gaining everything he has found something that is worth losing everything for we have someone worth losing everything for and his name is Jesus Jesus he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the final, amen. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Good Shepherd, the Great I Am. He is the Great High Priest, the Holy One, the image of the invisible God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, the Judge of the living and the dead. He is the power of God, the resurrection and the life, the supreme sacrifice, the only, the only, the only way and the truth and the life. He is majestic, He is mighty, He is marvelous, and no one compares to Him. Jesus is all of these things, and so the question is, is He preeminent? Does your heart belong to Him? He's enough. Jesus is enough. He walked that road to that cross and He made a way for you and me to be reconciled to a holy God. 
and to find in God fullness and satisfaction that frees us from the pursuit of bigger and better, the empty pleasures of this world. And the reason, the reason why He's entrusted you with gifts, talents, and resources, not so that you and I might indulge in the pursuits of empty things of this world. We've been given life so that our lives might be spent on this earth for the hallowing of His name to the ends of the earth. Start with me, Father. Start with me. May you be hallowed in me. Rewire my heart, reorder my life. And from here, may it go to the ends of the earth until one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you Pray with me. Pray with me. One thing I ask. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze, to gaze upon your beauty, your beauty, your beauty, and to seek Him in His temple. There's only one thing we need, Father. We want more of you. We want more of you. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. After you, God, I want to know you more. I want to be satisfied by you. More than bread, more than water, more than oxygen. I want an experience of you. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Hallowed be your name. Not my name. Your name! Not my kingdom, your kingdom, not my will, but yours. We wire our hearts, we order our lives so that Jesus, so that Jesus, Jesus be preeminent. I want my life to manifest your glory so that in everything that I do and say, people will come to know you, Jesus, make much of you, Jesus, and love you, Jesus. Just give me Jesus. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Jesus' name.